Hey, this is Rob and that's Micaiah and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, Boney Vare's best album. Micaiah, you say for Emma Forever Ago, I say the self-titled album. What do our listeners need to know right up front about Boney Vare? Well, in my mind, Boney Vare has been probably one of the most influential artists of the last 15 years. I think that that's safe to say. Um, you know, even with only one album under his belt, you know, in between the first album and the second album, he's already, you know, featuring on Kanye West's album. Uh, that his 2010 album that, you know, is probably the most beloved uh, critically. You know, so he's a really big deal. And, you know, just a, immediately just like a highly sought after, you know, uh, artist and producer. And people wanted his voice on their records and to produce their stuff. And he was off doing side projects and doing his own thing. But he's been very good. And by him, we're talking about Justin Vernon, who is often referred to as Bon Iver being mistaken as his name. Uh, but Bon Iver is a band. It is a project. There are multiple people involved. But Justin Vernon is the head of the organization and yeah um i mean recently he's worked with taylor swift and you know he's uh, worked with the national a bunch of times he has other side projects that are like a blues rock band and a separate rock band uh, called volcano choir uh just a very active uh, artist who has really in the last 15 years changed Two different types of music and really kind of captured the imagination of artists not just in music but in film and television his music very quickly became something that people would plug into their movies and their tv shows to just like okay we need to set a mood here let's drop this you know song from bon Iver. you know so it's something that a lot of people grabbed onto uh he's been uh imitated on snl you know so i mean it's a uh, very quickly, it's not like the Elliot Smith thing that for those who knew, knew. He, like, was, he's legitimately famous, Justin Vernon, and the name Bon Iver is legitimately, you know, famous. Uh, but when the Rolling Stone 500 list came out, Forever Forever Ago actually made it in the 400s. The second album did not make it. And I thought that both were, like, for sure going to be on that list so that was surprising to see um that not both of them um nevertheless you know we're here to talk about both of them to see you know which one belongs on our list and i think that it's not an obvious answer maybe you know i i think there's a very strong case for both of these albums um being among the 100 best albums of all time yeah i agree I, so i'm with you and, you know, I, I'm I'm excited to have this conversation as well with our guests later on. But before um, we go to our break, Makai, I'd love to know just between the two of us, how did you get turned on to Bon Iver? What was what was your first exposure? What was the thing that gave you a sense of, oh, this is this is someone special? Oh, this is an easy answer. And it's a. Uh... A great segue for our guest because our, our guest today, Tyler Skurlock, who was on our Smiths episode and our emo bracket episode, uh, when he was in his freshman year of college and I was still a senior in high school, he sent me uh, some tracks from Forever, uh, Forever Forever Ago 
And, you know, that was, and the first Fleet Foxes album, you know, which, you know, came out around the same time. So it's just like, oh, okay. So this is, this is what's important now. I feel like 2007 was like the epitome of like one kind of like indie rock scene and kind of like the tail end, like boxer came out that time and like the last good modest mouse album, you know? So like, it was kind of like kind of signaling an ender. And then in 2008, when you have like fleet foxes, bony bear and vampire weekend, all having their debut albums within months of each other. It's like, okay, now here's the next 10 years. Yeah. It was pretty fantastic year for music. Yeah. I mean, those were three debut albums, you know, and we've already talked about vampire weekend. We've already talked about fleet foxes. So we've, you know, been really building up to, to this episode to finally talk about, but it was probably the most successful, maybe most well-known of the three. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think it depends how you define success, but I think certainly most well-known, certainly in large part, thanks to Taylor Swift, you know, talking about Taylor Swift, talking about Kanye West, I think Bon Iver, I think Justin Vernon as an artist is of all of the kind of big 2008 debut albums that we've discussed. Justin Vernon is the one who ends up playing the largest role, not just in what indie music sounds like, but in what popular music sounds like across the board. I mean, the influence he has had in hip hop and R and B and pop music and, you know, in, in other forms of, of indie music. I mean, he, he's, he's a person who's kind of got a hand in all of it and I think it's because he is such a unique artist, such a unique voice. Um, we're going to talk about all of that, I know. Um, but for me, my first exposure to Bon Iver was seeing them in concert. I had never heard of Bon Iver, never, um, had never heard of Justin Vernon, had not heard the album for Emma Forever ago. I saw uh, Bon Iver open for Wilco. Um, I saw saw Wilco play at the Florida Theater in Jacksonville, and Bon Iver was the opening act. And uh, in and in fairness, it wasn't something that I was immediately wowed by. But it's also the opener of a show, so you're not like fully paying attention. But to close the opening set, uh, he did "Skinny Love," and as soon as as soon as he played that, I was like, "Oh, who is who is this?" And so immediately went and uh, bought the CD. So this is, you know, this is still when people were, were selling CDs, not just vinyl records or, or downloads. So bought the CD um, out in the, out, out in the foyer there of the Florida theater. And uh, Meg and I listened to it the whole drive back to St. Augustine after the show. And uh, really, I mean, really a, a great way, I think, to kind of discover new music because for me, it wasn't, you know, that early pitchfork review or the early like Rob Sheffield Rolling Stone review. I mean, there, there's a lot of people who I love and respect who did great early reviews of this album, but it, all of it just happened to pass me by. And so my first exposure got to be discovering them, seeing them play live, uh, which was really fun and really special. Knowing who our guest is, I think that we'll probably hear a similar story uh, by the time, you know, he gets his chance to talk about how he, you know, first witnessed Bon Iver. And I actually have um, something to say about that show as well. So uh, I'll, I, I'll, I'll hold on that. Well, well, let's not make, let's, let's not hold much longer. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break. We're going to let our listeners, of course, hear from our sponsors, Mirror Coffee Roasters and Spotify for Podcasters. And then we will be back with our guest, Shark's Teeth's own Tyler Skurlock. Tyler Skurlock. 
I want to take a second and tell you a little bit about Mirror Coffee Roasters. Mirror Coffee Roasters are pursuing excellence from coffee, farm to cup. The goal at Mirror Coffee Roasters has always been to use coffee as a tool for change. Whether that's a bag of coffee on your kitchen counter or creating a sustainable, human-focused sourcing practice that goes far beyond generic marketing labels. No matter how you enjoy your coffee, Mirror Coffee Roasters is here to help you on your journey and elevate your coffee experience. I want to encourage you to go to their website, mirrorcoffeeroasters.com today, and check out their coffee box a four-bag sampler box of some of their best coffees from Colombia, Guatemala, and Ethiopia. Check out Mirror Coffee Roasters today. listeners you know him from the band shark's teeth that's a plural possessive shark's teeth um, and he's got some other stuff to plug as well but we're so glad to have him back with us tyler welcome back to you forgot one hey thank you so much for having me back it's very excited to be here and uh talk a way too much about how much i love can we can we do a pronunciation check right off the bat are we going Bonnie Vare? We doing Bon Iver? We doing Bonnie Vare? Um, I, I, I've generally defaulted to Bonnie Vare, um, again, only because my first ex- experience, and Makai and I were talking about this before the break, about my first exposure to Bonnie Vare or Bon Iver. <laughs> I already got tripped Justin, up. Justin Vernon's band. Um, my first <laughs> Yes, let's just call it that the rest of the time. Yeah. My first exposure was seeing them open for Wilco. And of course, I was, no- there. I was actually at that show. Really? Yeah. And, uh, I was talking to Makai about it earlier today. So you and I were at the same Florida theater show where Wilco played. There couldn't, and- there couldn't have been another one where they, yeah. it was like 2008, nine. I don't know. Was that no, right? It would, it, it would have been summer 2008. And I can tell you why, because I was not in the concert. <laughs> But I was, you see, all right, so kind of forgot we, referenced, about we referenced in the Sufjan episode that Tyler and I took a trip 
uh, to Seaside and we bought all those Sufjan CDs at the, the record store down there. The following summer we went back, but he and our friend Spencer had tickets to see Wilco in Jacksonville. So instead of going from, uh, you know, Seaside and the Panhandle down to Orlando, we went to Jacksonville first where we met Spencer and Tyler and Spencer went to go see Wilco and Wilco. Okay. And I, I got a backpack with a box of Cheez-Its and a couple of books. And I just waited it out until the concert ended. So I walked around the streets of Jacksonville, uh, got real streetwise real quick. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, well, one person told me, he's like, Hey, when the sun goes down, you don't want to be out here. I went, got it. Uh, but the, the first thing he said was you need a place to stay. So this person was nothing but nice and uh, had, you know, uh, wise things to say. So I walk back to the venue. I'm sitting on the sidewalk, get the box of cheese. It's crack open a book. And a guy comes up to me, you know, while the opening band is loading up their, their van. A guy comes up to me and says, hey, man, great set tonight. I went, I'm not in this band. But of course, I know now that that band was Boney Vare and the guy who I was just next to for the entirety of him loading his band was Justin Vernon. At the time, he had a drummer who kind of looked like me, skinny, curly hair, white T-shirt, which was my uniform, you know, back then. So some say it still is. So yeah, so I, I still looked like, you know, I looked like the drummer. So it was an easy mistake to make. But I remember there were these two hipster kids with like, like a super eight camera filming him and asking him questions. And he was like, Oh, uh, are we good for sound? And they're like, it doesn't have sound. And he's like, Oh, okay. So they were just capturing like super eight footage of him talking about Akron family. And so that was technically my first exposure to Boney Vare was just being around them, loading the van and then not knowing who they were. So I was, I was also kind of at that show. So it's, it's, you know, obviously the two of you knew each other, but it's, it's weird to think, you know, 15 years before we're recording this episode, we were all at the same concert together. Um, you know, essentially discovering the same band together. And ultimately, Makai was the only one who, Makai was the only one who didn't go into the show, and yet he was the one closest to, the artist. So Tyler, you were there. Tell me about your experience of, of that opening set. Uh, sure. Um, so that, that set, I believe was in between um, the release of for Emma and blood bank, or maybe blood bank had just come out. Um, be, I think they might've had the blood bank CD there. Maybe so. Uh, but what I remember so much about that set is that, I mean, we had been, you know, we knew, for Emma front to back at that point, it's only nine songs. And we were like, you know, devouring it on a daily basis. Uh, so when we saw that show, when Spencer and I saw that show, I should say, sorry. <laughs> uh, but uh, when we, ex we all experienced something. Uh, but when we saw that show, I remember them playing beach baby and babies uh, love the uh, repet I mean, you know, the, the theme there for the, for the two tracks in the middle of blood bank. But um and, you know, hearing for Emma, a lot of very like uh, plucked or strummed classical guitar kind of stuff. And then hearing them play Babies, which is just like pulsating piano, uh, really just threw me for a loop. And I can still remember 
the like ethereal quality of that set and how it was like an ambient sort of environment, but you know, very much like driven by chords, uh, driven by like the song itself, but still having this quality of like droning chords uh, with their harmonies floating over it, sort of. Um, yeah, I mean, it was like a very beautiful and strange experience. Was not on any drugs and did not, uh, you know, I was too young to drink, but felt like a one of the trippiest experiences I've had at a show. so much that has been made there, there's so much that uh, mythologizing around the recording process of for emma forever ago and um justin's own words of course you know he basically said you know going through depression decides you know ultimately leaves the band in north carolina and drives packs up his car drives from north carolina home but not to his parents house drives to his dad's hunting cabin in in the woods and basically lives for three months with uh, a a a mac laptop a shore sm57 microphone and a cheap old guitar and what comes out of that is arguably one of the best debut albums of this millennia so let me ask the two of you to both talk about Forema Forever Ago um, and what's, what is so great about the album. And, and I guess for me, the, the bigger issue would be how much of kind of the mythology of the process of writing and recording Forema Forever Ago plays into the way in which we digest this music. As far as the myth-making goes, 
that's in most great records. I mean, we love Big Pink because it's Big Pink. You know, we love music from Big Pink because of, you know, the band being there and Dylan being there. And that's why we love the basement tapes. And, um, you know, and it's the same reason we love the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, you know, because we know that, oh, this is when, you know, Jay left the band and Reprise dropped them. And it can't, it was supposed to come out like on 9-11. All the songs are kind of about 9-11, but they were written before. And, you know, it's like all of that plays into it. But all of that stuff is like interesting but it's not the stuff that like makes it like a long lasting great record i don't think because it could have all the great narrative story but if the songs weren't any good then it wouldn't matter uh so you know i think that's a part of it i think that helps you know lift it up um especially since the record is so tied to a place and a feeling and you know, now that he has released four records or they've released four records, you know, each of them are kind of representative of like a season. Um, for Emma being winter, Bunny Bear being spring, 22 million being summer, and then I, comma, I being fall. So they're all trying to capture a feeling, you know, uh, and that's very intentional. And I think that's that's more the appeal than kind of the myth around it, just the the attempt to to really capture a feeling. I think that's what Bunny Bear is most successful at doing. Yeah, if I was going to say uh, something to that uh, thought, um, you know, the the lore surrounding the record was always something that, like, I don't know, uh, captivated. I think a lot of us when we were like, I mean, Makai and I discovered this when we were maybe 17, 18. And, uh, you know, it was very easy to be, like, fascinated by just this like, you know, idea, man in the woods in a cabin recording this beautiful thing. And, and really the thing about it is that it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't just sound like some guy strumming an acoustic guitar in a wooden cabin. You know, it sounds so much bigger and more like mystical than that. Uh, so for that to come out of it, um, it just, it seemed like something very like mysterious uh, and, and, and a quality that like, it sounded so approachable, but also like, how is someone doing this? And very like made us feel like, well, we have, I'm, I'm going to say this over and over again, probably tonight, but that for Emma feels like we have all these tools too. And everything that he's using is just like right there. We literally in our little you know practice room that we used to play in my garage or at Makaya's house. And, uh, and, but it still was like, oh, but he took these tools and did something that we are now like, it's like expanding our idea of music in general. Um, and all of that coming from a cabin in the woods just added to the mystery. If I'm going to like continue to use that phrasing, I'm going to do it one more time. Yeah. I, I think it's fair to say like Gen X has either or by Elliot Smith, which is another like do it yourself album. Like they rented a house in Portland or whatever, and they recorded it all like in that house and Elliot Smith plays, you know, almost all the instruments and it's beloved for all of that, you know, all those reasons. Um, but I think for people just, you know, 10 years older or younger, rather, uh, Frema has that same kind of quality, which is like, Oh, you can, you can, you know, this is, this is doable. Um, but more than either or either or is, you know, it's like 12 or whatever, just like incredible songs. 
Um, but they are pretty straightforward, kind of folky, you know, soft rock or indie rock, early indie rock kind of stuff. Which is for Emma, you know, when you hear like Lump Sum for the first time, it's like, I've never heard anything like this in my life. And being 15 years later and having heard so much more music uh, than I did, you know, that age, you know, I, I still haven't found exactly where he's pulling from to like come up with, you know, these sounds, you know, and how he's using his voice. I, I don't know that anyone's really done that and a lot of people have tried since but i don't think anyone comes close to what's on for emma so sparse i mean it's it's really minimalistic in its in its production that works and it feels so um immediate and present because it 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 feels like someone playing it right in front of you but then there are other songs on this album where it's it's hard to believe he's doing this by himself because there are there's like these full choral sections and you realize like oh he's he's doing this by re-recording his own vocals over and over and over and over again. And so that's the thing where you, you really start to understand, I think what he accomplishes on for Emma forever ago is really what sets the stage. I think for everything that he's going to do later on with other artists, because I think there's so many other artists 
that that essentially are looking at and, and going, okay, if you can do this with just these few ingredients, then what can you do with, you know, essentially the, the, the biggest and best studios in the world. And, and so that's really, I think where, for me, I think there, there's this beauty in Frema forever ago in, in its kind of almost isolation and solitude that I feel like you hear on the album. And there's so much beauty in that, but then how quickly, and I think, I think, you know, we don't want to gloss over blood blank blood bank. Cause even though it's only a four song EP, those four songs really do become kind of the, the thread that get us from forever, forever ago to the self-titled album. But by the time we get to the self-titled album, this is a band, like it's still Justin Vernon writing all the music and pretty in kind of putting all this together, but it's, it's a full band and it sounds like it. And it sounds like Justin Vernon, the, um, the orchestra conductor, as opposed to the guy by himself, in a you know, in, in a cabin recording all of these things. But no matter, no matter what is true about Bon Iver, the album, I don't know that any, any album he's ever going to make will be as mythologized. I, I want to ask a question and we, we didn't really talk about this, but I, I, you know, considering that we're going to be kind of going head to head with these two albums. And I think we, you know, we can all agree. These are two phenomenal albums. These are two albums that I think both rightfully could, could, could make this list. So as we're talking about these albums, um, especially since these albums are so short, one of the things Makai mentioned to me in our text chain today is just the the brilliance of doing so many great albums that are under 40 minutes long. Like to do a really great short album, mm-hmm. there, there's something profound about that. That being said, let me ask, what are your three favorite songs on for Emma forever ago and share a little bit about how you feel about those songs. I uh, wasn't prepared for that question, but I can just give a, I guess I'll do my gut reaction. Um, uh, lump sum mm-hmm. uh, title track. I mean, title track, I guess, sort of for Emma and maybe wolves or flume. Ah, this is that's too hard. Uh, I mean, they're all they're all, they're all so beautiful. Uh, I cannot honestly. I, I have a better. I have an easier time going backwards. Um, as <laughs> like what I listen to the least. Uh, but yeah, no, that's, those are my probably top three favorites. Just off like my gut reaction. Yeah, I would say lump sum for me as well. Because I mean, flume. I'm like, this is cool. I get this. But then lump sum, I was just like, ooh, me oh my. That's where he like really. Yeah. You know, just like goes to the next place. Um, and then for me, number two, I would say creature fear, uh, which is um, maybe the most rock and roll song on the album that goes into to team, uh, like a two minute song. That's mostly a baseline. Now that's a choice. Um, cool. And man. then, and then for me, uh, I'm also going to say the title track, um, even though Restacks is a, a hard one to leave off. 
it's a hard list to make, but yeah, uh, for Emma, the title track hits so hard, it's undeniable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all, all three of us, I think, are going to end up with Lump Sum. So mine would be Lump Sum, Skinny Love, and for Emma. Um, oh, nice. So Lump, yeah. Sum, Lump Sum and the title track makes, makes all three of our lists. Cool. Skinny Love became like an American Idol song. Did it really? I think so. I think people were seeing. It got to the point where people like it's a weird, it's a weird time because uh, some of the stuff in the indie world like really caught on. So like falling slowly and Skinny Love all of a sudden became like big like music competition show. Yeah, I guess there is like a weird line there between the two. Uh, connection there between those two songs. I haven't yeah. thought about falling slowly in a long time though. I think about Frim all the time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So like, I think like falling slowly became like the big duet. Like, oh, we're doing duet night, mm-hmm. or songs from the movies or something. And then, Skinny Love was just like you know like the the girl with like a feather in her hair and like a vest would do like Skinny Love. I don't know. I may now I'm making things up, but they for sure were like that. You know, they they were that popular. I, I don't know that Justin Vernon does Skinny Love much in concerts. I don't know. I can't can't really remember well i was gonna say but also that's also part of how how different the group of musicians he's touring with now are i mean the there once once he did um once he did 22 a million the music became so digital and and became you know you know the 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 touring band became so different it, it just didn't lend itself to doing a really great version of skinny love unless he did it solo. But, you know, I, I I've seen him do um, the versions of it where basically it's the whole band and, you know, doing it in the round essentially with the stomps and claps. Um, you know, it's, it, it is, it is a real, it is a real great song that kind of leads the way into the uh, um, stomp clap you know, ho hey kind of music that kind of took over the the airwaves in the late two thousands, early two thousand tens. Yeah, bad imitators like they 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 hooked onto the wrong thing of what's good or interesting about like 
this record. Yeah. They're like, oh, uh, being like real woodsy and carrying an acoustic guitar or something, not like finding out a new way to play the acoustic guitar, but just doing like the most basic thing with the guitar is kind of was like the takeaway, even though every like he just finds you, you get the sense that he was like kind of over the guitar and to like be able to like write songs. He's like, well, I got to like really fuck with the tuning or you know, really find new ways to play like a standard C chord or something. So it's just like, and that's what I mean by everything just being like packed with ideas. Like, and what y'all were saying earlier is like, it sounds like just kind of standard kind of folk songs until you like go to like learn them. And you're just like, this is something complete. This is, this isn't even what I thought it was. I've been enjoying it for so long and it's, it's so much more complicated than I actually, you know, had perceived it to be. thing we haven't talked about, that was really unique about him at the time, especially on for Emma was the falsetto Mm -hmm. because people were not singing like that. Um, at that time, you know, it was much cooler to sound like, you know, I mean, just think just a few years earlier, year uh, earlier in the beginning of the decade, everyone was trying to sound like Jack white or Julian Casablancas, you know, no one wanted to sound (laughs) like Marvin Gaye like Curtis Mayfield so like even though he's doing this folk stuff his influences are like soul singers and he has a very strong soulful voice which is what makes skinny love work and coincidentally that's the one where he's not doing the falsetto so much uh so like his his actual voice uh is is very unique to because I mean it's not even like what Flea Foxes was doing you know even though they were also like doing up the harmonies and everything but he and Robin have very very different voices. Um, yeah. So I, you know, that, that's another way he was able to like, really, I mean, it's like, you know, at that time after boxer, you know, maybe the national were like the it indie rock band and you couldn't get further from Matt Beringer's voice than like the falsetto of Justin Vernon. Yeah. And I think that falsetto still is like so distinct that people know, you know, when you, when you, when you heard him on Kanye or I guess, anything else he's done since then it's like oh cool Justin Vern's on the track obviously that's what's going on here Uh, yeah
set me up to come on tonight and ask me basically, you know, what I felt like makes, uh, well, Bon Iver, one of the quintessential indie bands of the 21st century and the case for Frema. Uh, and I don't know. So, uh, what makes it so, uh, okay. I want to try and use a $10 word here and try and pronounce it, uh, inimitable. Uh, what makes it so inimitable, uh, about Frema is that uh, it uses, like we were saying, uh, so little to do so much uh and and not to get like ahead but that's my kind of my biggest comparison to the self-titled record is that it does so much with so much um but with frame uh this is all like part of the lore we already talked about uh you got justin vernon mostly on his own uh recording and writing in a cabin and we were talking about it just before the before we started recording mckay and i were talking about the personnel differences how uh for Emma really is mostly Justin Vernon. There's three more uh, contributors to the album who basically do, I think one like horn part uh, for two people, they do one horn part each and then one person does some drums. Uh, so it's mostly him in a cabin, like we already talked about, uh, but it sounds like something so much bigger from something so small. Um, and uh, it's like, you know, he used the same very small pieces to put together nine distinct yet very cohesive uh, I mean, bangers to, to put it any other way, uh, that, uh, you know, rarely have a moment where it isn't captivating. So I think that's kind of why it's so hard to like when you ask me what my favorites are, it's like, but it is all my favorites. Um, and, uh, sometimes, uh, doing so much is just like strumming a few chords and having like an organ or, um, so they use an Ebo, which is, you know, that, that like kind of thing you see it a lot with like, um, you know, like on, on heroes, the David Bowie song is just that sustained. I'm, not, I'm sorry if that comes off horribly on an audio format, but that's what it does. Uh, it drones a, a one note on a guitar, basically. And when we saw them live, you know, we saw them using an Evo on a resonator guitar just to drone one note in the background over some insanely tasteful melody. Um, uh, uh, achieving that for less than 40 minutes, which is like, I think it's like 37 and a half. Uh, um, you know, it's an album that not only uses so little to make so much beauty, but also so little to inspire so many ideas. Like Makai was saying, like, there are people who definitely have, I think definitely has been a lot of derivative, myself included, uh, of things, uh, listening to that. And, and like we had talked about on the emo episode about cap and jazz, uh, like hearing one chord from a cap and jazz song made me feel like, okay, now I can run back to what I already know and incorporate that and, and write something new. Um, but it was, it was even kind of a different and stranger experience to hear someone use just a C chord, maybe with a, with a, with a G in the bass, uh, strummed tastefully and sung, uh, in a way that makes you think, like we had said, I have all the tools and, uh, everything at my disposal. So, you know, some, some albums inspire me to become like a better musician in technical ways, uh, uh, or try new ideas that I haven't considered, but for Emma makes me feel like I can have like an infinite amount of ideas of interesting and beautiful things with abilities and ideas that have always been right in front of me, but are underutilized. I truly have nothing else to add. Uh, that, that pretty much captures, I think the 
the general like spirit of the record and just what it was like to hear it for the first time and what it's like to listen to it now, like even 15 years later, you know, it's, it's still the same, you know, I, I, you know, it came, this, this came to us in an important time in our lives, you know, being, you know, 17, 18 or whatever. So, but the thing is, it's not really a nostalgic album because I've listened to it so much every year since. So it's not like it just reminds me of 2008. Like it reminds me of every year for the last 15 years. Cause that's how often I listen to it. This is not a nostalgia pick because I was a teenager when this came out. Uh, you know, it's, it's because now in my thirties, I'm still listening to it and describing things about it and being inspired by it. Uh, you know, and that's, that's what makes a great record. Not just my memory of, you know, when it came out, you know, So it's interesting. You said nostalgia pick, and it makes complete sense what you're saying. When you said this is not a nostalgia pick, I thought you were talking about the themes of the songs. And that's probably a good segue because it's interesting. I actually find that the self-titled album that comes out in 2011 
seems in some ways more interested in the idea of nostalgia in people and places in past and time. Like the self-titled album feels way more interested in nostalgia than forever forever ago, even though forever forever ago, like you would think again, some of the mythologizing albums, some of the content you would think this is a deep mythologizing, but forever forever ago for as stripped down and minimalist as it feels also feels incredibly present. Like it, it, it feels like someone who is writing about what they're dealing with in the moment, not thinking back to 10, 20 years earlier. I mean, with, with maybe the exception of for Emma, the song, but you know, by, by a certain definition, but like outside of that one song, the album doesn't seem to be that concerned with any, anything nostalgia driven, but then you get to 2011, the self-titled album, and this whole album feels like someone who is constantly thinking of what was in and where it was and who it was. Like it's it's constantly concerned with past in time, past in place, past in people. Like it's it's focused on all of those things. So let me kind of make what I think is the argument for. Bon Iver, the self-titled, the self-titled album, the follow-up to Forever Forever Ago. You know what? That's not excluding Blood, Blood Bank, as we have talked about, which was a really great um, kind of step that gets us from one to the other. But I think that one of the reasons I love Bon Iver, the self-titled album, so much is it was the first release from from the band after I had discovered them. So it was the first release where I was already bought in and ready for this to come out. And even though um, the song Blood Bank and the song Babies both kind of hint at this move towards what we hear on the self-titled album, when Bon Iver comes out, it is so different, so much bigger, so much more expansive um, in some ways kind of like more theatrical almost like it's, it is, it is, it has a cinematic quality to it, but also I feel that way about this album because I'm, I'm also approaching it in contrast to from a forever ago. And it makes me wonder if, if Bon Iver had been the debut album, if I would feel the same way about it, or, or if I only feel that way about it because there's such a fast evolution from this very isolated, very kind of solo album to this very orchestrated, ambitious album with a ton of people participating on it. Um, lots of different musicians, uh, lots of different types of instruments that you're hearing. And each song takes all of the giftedness of Justin Vernon really a, as an arranger, as a composer, and puts all that together instead of it being him and alone in a cabin. It is now at a studio that he and his brother have built together and it's everyone they can get in the room playing these parts and, and doing this. And so for me, I, I, I love just how big Boney Vare sounds in comparison to forever forever ago. But then you also get these 
beautiful, intricate songs. You get songs like Perth and Holocene and uh, Calgary and uh, Beth Rests, this kind of two-part final track, which starts off with this beautiful part. And you're talking about not being able to hear some of the influence for me as someone who grew up on that music. Beth Rest is where I hear the most direct influence from 80s music into into a sound especially in the way he's playing that like yamaha cp80 uh, electric keyboard that you hear at the beginning that kind of starts the song off also have you know a different kind of mythologizing um around this album certainly than than what you have for forever forever ago um but of course you know the opening track perth um you know for our listeners who are not aware just want to give you kind of a short version of kind of how this all came together so the song perth was written as the first song written for this album so in 2008 so after from a forever ago had come out right before it was going to come out they're they're doing some music videos so this is still back in the days of doing music videos they're doing a music video for the song wolves 
And uh, Matt Amato, who was the director of the video, was there in Wisconsin to record this video. And he's there at the time that his best friend and fellow Australian Heath Ledger dies. And so here's this guy who's now kind of stuck in the middle of January um, in the winter in Wisconsin, can't get out. He's there essentially at at uh, um, Justin Vernon's parents' house. And, you know, his, his best friend has died and there's not anything that he can do about it. And so basically he spends the next three days kind of snowed in, in Wisconsin, telling Justin Vernon and his brother, these stories about Heath Ledger and then, and then growing up together in Perth, Australia. And essentially that's the impetus of this song. And so uh, there's, you know, again, you have these really kind of cool stories, I think, around some of these individual songs. You don't have a whole album mythologizing like you do for Forever Forever Ago, but there are definitely some some great stories to accompany some of the songs that are on this album. And again, I think Perth is a phenomenal album opener, but given that much more weight from the story of where the song comes from.
while Frema is something that makes me feel like I or anybody else uh, could use the same tools to attempt something similar, um, self-titled has this, how the hell did they do this quality? Uh, uh, probably due to the expanded personnel, uh, like we said, from four to 12 people uh, and the expanded instrumentation. So going from just guitars, even if it is a little bit outside the normal guitar to a resonator or, or a classical, you know, uh, with nylon strings, uh, but going from that to literally like a drum core uh, instead of a stripped down set, um, not just from like having one person come in doing a trumpet track, but having like multiple brass, uh, you know, players on the, on the whole album uh, using synthesizers that are like all very, very well documented in, in the notes. Uh, all they, like they, lay, they, they, they list each different type of synthesizer they used and they even use like granular synthesizers. So they're getting, you know, really into the, you know, expanded universe of synthesizers uh, using string instruments, uh, samplers, slide guitar. Uh, and, and yeah, like I already said, even more and more woodwinds and brass. Um, but often, you know, still these songs are still sometimes reduced or they get, they, they, they come back down to a strummed or plucked classical guitar after like minutes of, orchestral movements all of a sudden you're like oh we're back to what i you know know from for him a little bit um and so with all that being said i, I think the word that i would describe uh self-titled self-titled as having over emma uh is um like just vision uh for emma feels like something that was discovered on accident um sort of like unearthed out of a haze of depression um, while self-titled feels like someone with every resource at their fingertips using it to create something meticulously thought out uh, that I have a hard time putting into words because uh, how it makes me feel because I'm, I'm left constantly in awe at the scope of the compositions uh, when, when where for Emma feels like, okay, I can see the moving parts here. Uh, when I listen to the stuff from self-titled, it's more like, I have no idea how they did this and it's beautiful. And um, I guess that's, yeah, that's my case for self-titled. Yeah. I am. This is, this is the moment where like, like you were saying about for Emma, like just kind of being there, there's no like plan there, you know, it's just like, well, I have mono and my, I have some like liver disease or something or whatever. So I guess well, I could just, well, so yeah, so I guess I can write and record at my dad's cabin, and then it's just like I'll use this name, you know, because I'm watching Northern Exposure, and I'll put it on MySpace. That's it. But then like people take to it, and it's taken seriously, and it's called this like breakup albums. Like oh yeah, he got dumb, so he moved to a cabin and wrote this these songs about a girl named Emma, which like that's not true, uh, my to my knowledge, you know. So there's even like more imposed on that album than what was actually there. And then, so the self-titled album is kind of this like clean slate, just like, okay. Uh, Cause I, I think I read that he wasn't even intending on like releasing for Emma, like as the record, like those were just like a set of demos, but then people were just like, no, I think you're good to go here. And that's the same story with Roman candle. Right. Yeah. Least, like, Let me re-record it. And the record label was like, no, yeah. 
Yeah. And so with Bon Iver, Bon Iver, subtitle, subtitled, you know, you get this sense of like, okay, well, this is what I want the band to be known as. This is what I want to represent the band, like this kind of sound. Like, and it has more like riffs than for him. Like the, like the, like Perth is just like riffs, which when you, when I first heard that, I was like, what are these like riffs? It's just like, wait, <laughs> hold on a second. And then yeah, that's nowhere on for Emma. There's no yeah. And so that was wild. And then like the drums can be described as like straight up hardcore. And then collab with the chariot for that album. You know that? Yeah, like, no, but for real, like it's it's like, but it's not like double pedal. It's like guys just like doing it like lifted style, like individual like piece like pop 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 pop. Yeah, so, like, these like these like kick pedal paradiddle stuff is just like wait, distorted guitar riffs like heavy metal drums, but that falsetto's there. It's just like what is the? At first, I was just like, okay, I think I like this but do I like this as a Boney Vare album? Because he just, he was so just like, Hey, this is, you know, like for Emma, like represented something and meant something about like, you know, just like folk instruments and all that, you know, that, that Neo folk revival bearded guy flannel shirt thing. And then Minnesota happens. It's, it's kind of the lump sum of thing where she's like, okay, now I'm really going to take it a step further. Like this thing I've set up, I'm really going to go away with it. And Minnesota just like, okay, like by the time those synths come in, it's all bet like all bets are off. You truly don't know what you're gonna get. And I don't know how y'all feel about Boney Vare kind of lyrically, but like I'm embarrassed to say that like lyrics have never been very important for me with with Boney Vare. I've I've always been more interested in the arrangements and the melodies because I don't know what to do with these lyrics. Like looking at like Minnesota, Wisconsin, like I don't know how to pronounce these words. Some of these the ones that I've seen, but then like doubled in the toes, annex it, it minute closed in the morning. This is like refrigerator magnet lyrics, just like doubled in the toes, annex it. I mean, I've said this before on the podcast, at least twice before, like, like with like Phil Spector songs and like girl groups and doo-wop, like the do run run doesn't mean anything either. But I love to do run run, you know, by the crystals, you know, uh, uh, or, you know, um, why do fools fall in love? You know, like the doom bop, doom bop. That's just as effective to me as like what Frankie Lyman is singing, like in the verses of the court, you know what I mean? Like that, that's, the stuff is just effective. Uh, but like Holocene, like I don't know, what, I don't really know what a Holocene is or what that means. And but he just, he just gives you like just enough. Like he's doing the the thing of Rema was just like giving you like doing a lot with a little, which is like I don't understand a lot of these words. But then he gives you I could see for miles, 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 and you're like, okay, for some reason that means something to me.
So like you just get this he just like really lets you hear what he's saying sometimes and that can really work but i mean we should talk about the way that these both these albums work with their first three tracks that's just like an introductory song a second song that's like pretty out there and then a third song is just like a, a home run like i mean holocene is just a home run like mm-hmm. like skinny love but it's one of the things that's like with Holocene, it's just like, okay, American Idol and the voice, like, try, like, try to, like, you know, use my songs to, like, create a career for yourself, like, in these, like, TV, like, competition shows, like, you're, you can't, and, and, and you won't. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's literally doing that, but that's, that is what's happening. Um, but, you know, of course, this instantly, movies and TV shows, this song is just, like, dropped in everywhere where you're like the scene's not working we need people to feel a certain way do the holocene drop you know mm-hmm. um it works too oh yeah every time because it's so f- effective but then you get things like the all the things that like blood bank kind of foreshadowed like with wash like the that great piano track on there uh calgary that's very rock and roll um and then beth rest which uh, is like a really steamy love scene in like a Tony Scott movie in the eighties. Like by the time that saxophone comes in and that keyboard, Oh brother. All right. So here's the thing. Like for Emma reminds me of like playing in Tyler's garage and like recording on an eight track, just like rehearsing a song and then just like recording it live with just like really minimal microphone setups you know, just like over winter break, which is like a couple friends, but Bon Iver, Bon Iver comes out the summer after my sophomore year of college and I've started a new relationship. And so I can say absolute certainty. I've probably made out to this album more than any other album, uh, that I, yeah, <laughs> so like, but like it gets to a point where like, you're just like making out for like 30 minutes or whatever. And then Beth rest comes on. You're like, all right, listen, <laughs> like really like fog up the room, blast the light backlit, like the actors and just like really, really have a go at it. You know, like it's, you know, uh, it's a great sign. And man, live. Oh man, that that's a crowd pleaser. That's, that's a great one live. I mean, all of these tracks are, and I think over the couple times I've seen them play, I probably have heard most of these, if not all of them by now. 
Um, so yeah, huge record, big drum sounds, brass, and just really great piano, just really building off of all the stuff that he had been working on. Blood Bank is probably the best precursor, just like just with those four songs, like Blood Bank has like those like pretty epic drums that are like kind of low in the mix, but it's just like someone going open on a ride, just like, which is like a really wild choice, but that's way more present here. And with like beach baby with like the, the, the lap steel babies with the piano and then woods, just like acapella auto tune stuff. Like just in those four songs, he's just like, listen, I know you like that stuff. This is kind of similar to Ferema, but just like buckle up because we're going to go somewhere. I think that's one of the most like strategic, man, I don't want to say strategically, but uh, very cleverly released kind of EPs. Uh, the same way Sufjan did like All Delighted People before just like dropping Age of Odds. Just like, hey, it's been a few years, just so you know, things have changed. If there's anything going for this record, it's that it's that quality of just like how do you even think to put these sounds together? How do you even think to put these chords and these instruments together? And what gave you the balls to put that synthesizer and that saxophone on that closing track? Like you're the indie rock or the folk, you know, guy. So I mean, like it, it's we have two more records now, but like hearing Beth rest for the first time is like, is this a joke? Like this like eighties movie, like pastiche thing. Like this is not restacks. That's how we last heard you. You know, this it's so far from that. It's so jarring. And to like get for like Justin Vernon and, and company to just be like, Hey, like maybe some people are just gonna, this is where they get off or but just be like, Hey, this is where we're going. You know, I think that that's such a such a ballsy move, and a lot of people did. You know, and um, 
the first three albums I think are great because I think 22 a million makes another like pretty drastic leap and so that's why I always really cherish the the first three albums like together Here's here's a good way to to settle this debate, uh, Tyler. You you know you're with us partially to help us make this decision, and so we're we're really putting all the chips in front of you. Let's rank from five, so starting with five, going to number one. And Makai, we'll start with you. Rank the Bon Iver releases, if you would. Okay, so number five for me. Will be I comma I. Uh, number four. This feels too low, but I'm going to say Blood Bank. Um, it's number four, but I will say that I think Blood Bank is the best Bony Bear song. But I guess just because it's a scant like four tracks, I guess it's number four. Uh, number three, I'm going to put Twenty Two a Million because this is where 
the next rebirth in Bon Iver is. It's not just like, okay, here's a bunch of instruments. Because now he's like, okay, I figured out how to like replay guitar to make it interesting for me. Okay, now I'm playing with the band to make music in- interesting to me. And like the last thing, and he's like, okay, well, what do I do with my voice now? And he has the Messina, uh, which is like a harmonizer that like, I think it's Christmas scene as a guy in his band kind of like created essentially. Um, and so the stuff that he does vocally on that record with this like harmonizer and, and playing other instruments through that also like using like horns and playing it through that and just kind of manipulating it is just wild. So I think that that like makes a production, like the greatest production leap I think is actually on that record. And that's why it's so fascinating to me. So I, I love 22 million. I had to get that out there. Cause I think it's at this point underappreciated, um, and then so number two obviously would be self-titled self-titled and then number one uh for me after all these years uh forever forever ago rob how about you so number five for me today is 22 million uh number four is blood bank number three is i comma i number two forever forever ago and number one the self-titled album bon iver bone Ever. My favorite actually was when he won the Grammy for best new artist and I think best alternative album. And the number one search on Google that night was who is bony bear. So that, that was my favorite of the pronunciations, bony bear. Well, and by the way, I don't know that we've actually covered this at all. So of course, uh, so B O N H I V E R is the French spelling for good winter. So bony. So the name means, essentially is is a version of the french phrase for good winter which is why i default to the french pronunciation of the phrase and bon bear yeah i i i always just you know uh revert to the orlando pronunciation of it so bon iver yeah tyler it all comes down to you <laughs> okay well uh it's an honor and i'm ready um so i would say my number five uh i comma i uh, my number four, 22 a million. I really, uh, honestly haven't given those enough of a chance. I need to explore them more, but what I have listened to, like, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't hit me in the same way that the rest of them have. And the other ones have just like crawled under my skin, uh, from the first listen. And I've listened to them, but, uh, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't even compare them to number three for me is blood bank. Uh, number two would be self-titled and number one for Emma. Uh, so yeah, so for my close, closing thought for, uh, for, for Emma is that it's one of those albums that comes out and you're left thinking, how the hell did they know exactly what I was looking for at this specific moment in time? I mean, that's happened with me for so many different albums. Uh, I think of like Blonde by Frank Ocean, uh, or, or that's just like the first thing of some minor, so many different records where I hear it and it's just like, it's just crazy. Uh, and, and then, um, <clears throat> It's like everything leading up to uh, all my interests and taste culminates by this perfectly crafted record that hits you in the face and kind of leaves you in a coma. Um, and and with their debut, uh, they captured something that I think the use of min- minimalism and harmony uh, to evoke uh, just the most like visceral emotion, res- emotional response possible in myself as like an 18 year old. Uh, but I think also hitting anyone wherever they were at the same time, because obviously it was not just hitting 18 year olds. It was incredibly successful, um, which also leads me. I want to just make a small point about what you were saying, Micaiah, to add on to what gave them the balls to go from Forema to uh, a self-titled. 
uh, all of the money, all the money. Uh, and so, you know, not just a little, but they got it all. And, and I think that's exactly what you should do. If you're so successful and you have this like uh, no overhead record where you just like make all the money, uh, instead of going on tour, like some people, Arcade Fire, uh, something like that, who just goes to say like, yo, we're gonna go phone it in. Or, or, you know, even some people I love, like Sufjan, saw him touring with like laptops to do things he used to do orchestras for. It's like, no, uh, Justin Vern decided, I'm going to take all the money and make the most beautiful and like creative thing I can do with those resources. And not only do that, but then go on tour and make it all happen as a production, not go on tour and use a bunch of samples. I mean, yeah, they use samples for like later stuff because it's electronic music. They're meaning to use it that way. It's more of a creative choice, uh, but not a phoning in choice. Uh, that's my ranking and uh, my final I guess, thoughts on why I think Frema is my favorite. And uh, yeah. Tyler, we want to thank you so much, of course, for helping us make this decision. Um, and I think it's a, I think it's a good one. So we want to thank you for helping us make that decision. Tyler, um, we're, of course, going to ask you to give us five albums. But before we do, tell our listeners a little bit about Shark's Teeth and tell us a little bit about Coworkers. Yeah, I was actually going to say, um, I, I could definitely talk about Shark's Teeth, but I have been distracted in the best way uh, by uh, the new project I'm playing called Coworkers. Um, follow us at uh, coworkers uh, underscore NOLA on Instagram. Uh, we have no uh, music out just yet. Uh, probably not by the time this episode comes out, but I think we'll have a single that'll be done in the next month and maybe month and a half. And we, uh, we played like a, uh, like a uh, uh, you know warm up house show recently, but we have our first like official show coming up, and we've just been working on uh, our like uh, collection of songs for our first record the last six months, and it's I could not be more excited about it. It's uh, I don't I hate to use the words like post punk or art rock or something like that, but it is weird, and we play our guitars like percussion instruments, and uh, have definitely like devolved. Uh, in, in a lot of ways with our musical um, abilities and inclinations. And I don't know, I couldn't be more excited. It's a, it's a whole different thing that has really inspired me. And I'm playing with a lot of, it's, it's also, it's not a band that I uh, am like fronting or anything as, as opposed to Shark's Teeth where I'm writing all, a lot of the songs. This is where I'm following uh, our, our uh, kind of lead uh, songwriter and singer. His name's Jake. And it's definitely the closest I've come to joining a cult uh, or, or rather than a band where we're basically just, uh, yeah, we, we blindly follow Jake's vision, which is a uh, very wooey wooey and witchy and great. And, and we're, we're all just very, you know, committed to uh, making a lot of the, a lot of those things come to life. So listeners keep your ears open and your eyes open for coworkers and we can't wait to hear this uh art rock post-punk uh weirdness that is a uh, that you're having a lot of fun doing so tyler you know the drill this is your third time on the podcast give us your five albums uh you tell us what they are you tell us what the list is and then you give us those five albums uh yeah so i'm just gonna do the five albums that i guess kind of have been my on repeat for me in the last maybe six months um, I think that's, I don't know how long it's been since the last episode, but that I was on, but at least that long. Uh, so definitely number one, I cannot stop listening to, uh, is an overview on phenomenal nature, uh, by Cassandra Jenkins. 
Um, it's, it's like stupidly good. It's offensively good. And, um, just the arrangements and the lyrics. And I mean, it's all, it's all about, not all about, but heavily about, uh, David Berman from silver Jews, how she was about to see what she was preparing to play in his band and go on tour, uh, before, uh, his life ended. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tragic and beautiful and it's, it's terrifying. Um, so yeah, that record is like my favorite of the last two years, really. And then, uh, also can't stop listening to, uh, classic objects by Ginny Haval. Um, I think it's like on four AD their uh, like music label, but, uh, it's just, she's been doing so many cool things. I, I have a book by her on my stack of books on my bedstand that I haven't read. Um, but it's, uh, she's, she's done so many things, written books, made albums, collaborated lots of people, but this last album classic objects, uh, is once again, I always use like the hyperbole that's like very negative. So it's like, it's messed up uh, how good it is. Uh, and, um, Number three, uh, Diamond Violence by a group called Marker Starling. I think y'all would really like that if you haven't listened to it. Uh, it, Marker Starling sounds like someone's name, like maybe who is Marker Starling, who is Von Iver, but it's just the name of the band. Um, I forgot the, 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 the kind of lead songwriter's actual name. Probably that might be their intent, uh, but it's really good. Uh, they're from Canada. Uh, and it's a very, it's a, you know, kind of an indie release kind of really kind of just getting off the ground, but it's really beautiful. And also Chris Cohen, who y'all probably know, he like produced some of it and you can really hear it in the like drum sound and just like this very, it's like a very like cool and like stylish recording. Uh, number four is natural Brown prom queen, uh, by Sudan archives, which is just like, I mean, it's beautiful. It's dirty. Uh, it's, it's really, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I've listened to homemaker on repeat in my car, driving home from work way too many times, just roll it back. Uh, anytime that I listen to that song. And, uh, and lastly, I would say, uh, this, this is a, a new record by a band from Lafayette, Louisiana called kid Charleroi. Um, it's a, definitely a Steely Dan, uh, joke and reference, um, but there's more to it. Uh, but Kid Charleroi, they have a self-titled album called Kid Charleroi. It's, uh, once again, it's an influence by Steely Dan, uh, but not derivative, very creative. Uh, some of my favorite people in the world. It's beautiful music. And uh, it just came out. Sharks Teeth, uh, help, we, we helped them celebrate their release in New Orleans for the show, for their uh, album. We did a show with them. And uh, it's, in, it's insanely and unreasonably good. Uh, so yeah, check out Kids Charleroi by Kids Charleroi if you so choose. That's a great list. Uh, obviously, there's some new stuff in there for us to to check out. Um, and I love that you gave some uh, some love to Natural Brown Prom Queen. Um, yeah, that that is a that's one that I think made our. It was in my top twenty. I don't know, if, but I think it actually made our collective top twenty uh, of albums for last year. Yeah, it's 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 stupid how good that album is. All right. Hey Tyler, it's been a blast. Thanks for doing it again, bud. Thank, thanks, y'all. Always always a pleasure. All right, thanks, man. Tyler. Someday my pain. Someday my pain mark you harness your blame. 
Now, even though I, I, I chose for Emma and we are going with for Emma, I will admit if it had gone the other way and Bon Iver, Bon Iver was the pick, I would not have been upset at all uh, because I think both are deserving of being on this list. I think both should have been on the Rolling Stone 500. Mm-hmm. You know, so that being said, of course, I'm glad it's it's my pick. And because I, I genuinely think that it, it, it is the right pick uh being the person who chose bunny bear bunny bear how do you feel about for emma ultimately being the pick was it was it was it very close for you too yeah i mean i'm look i'm with you like i i i was not going to be upset by any of these picks um i i mean i'm i'm one of those people if i'm making a personal favorite 500 um 
all four of the Bon Iver albums and the EP are making my list. Like, Oh yeah, for sure. So I, I mean this, again, this, this is one where I think, I think the choice, I think we had the choice, right? I think it's between the self-titled or forever forever ago. And I think forever forever ago is the right choice for all the reasons we talked about. So let me ask the question, Micaiah, and I think we've answered it already, but just to be official, Mm -hmm. does this album belong on our list? Yes, it most certainly does. I think uh, Rolling Stone has it at like 400 something. It's, it's low. Um, That's, that's bad. That's, I mean, this is, I think this is a, a top 10 album of the 2000s. Like that, those, the first 10 years of the 21st century, I think it's in the top 10. Um, and so for it to be that low on a list of 500 albums is baffling to me, especially given its influence and how well it's done as an independent record during an era where people were not selling records anymore. You know, like it it was, you know, unless you're a big giant pop star, you know, 2008 is by that time there's a real concern about things not selling and things being leaked and things being streamed. He'd already sell, he had already released it online for free. Why would anyone buy the record? So the fact that it sold that well after being put online for free is shocking. Like it's, it's truly wild, but people like it that much that they're just like, I want the record. Yeah. I want, I want to hold the thing in my hand. This means something to me. But listener, what do you think? Did we get this right? Uh, should it have been this whole title album? Should it have been an album we're not even thinking of or talking about? We want to know. Reach out to us on Instagram at you forgot one on Twitter at you forgot one pod. Of course, our website is you forgot one.com and Micaiah for everyone who is listening on the myriad platforms there are. What should they do? Well, you can leave a five-star review. Uh, you can also write a review. It helps other people find the show, and it lets us know what it is that we're doing that you actually like. Um, also, if you haven't already, um, you should like, follow, or subscribe to the podcast so that when we're going to release new episodes, uh, you got them right there ready for you to go once they drop. Since your album is ultimately our pick for Bon Iver, we're going to leave our listeners with my favorite Boney Bear song. Here is Heavenly Father. Listener, we'll see you next week. Ever since I heard the
Freedom! 